Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Denver Broncos. This is the Broncos Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary and Broncos Wire editor, John Heath. That was a great team win. Give me a game ball here for B-Mac. Game ball for BMAC. That's Brandon McManus, the uh, field goal kicker. I Oh, I'm so mad at the Broncos, John. Not because they beat my Patriots, but because at halftime I go on Twitter and I say, no, 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 Fangio, you can't go kicking a bunch of field goals and expect to leave Foxborough with a W. It's not going to happen, so don't even try it. And then the Broncos go ahead and score all their points on field goals, score 18 points, and still win the ball game. I'm still in disbelief that that happened. Uh, Fangio is back in my doghouse, and I'll tell you why. But first, I want to give you the floor to celebrate, along with those Broncos, that big win. You get, you deserve it, John. So what do you think? Yeah, I think everything is better when you win. Winning cures all ills. When you're losing players, they don't want to talk. They give short answers. Coaches, they don't want to talk about strategy or anything interesting. Fans are mad and they're talking about Trevor Lawrence. And now they win two games. Fans are talking about, all right, we're going to go beat the Chiefs now. We're going to be in the playoff hunt. It's like, okay, okay, calm down. And that's possible. But it's just funny how much it swings winning oh, yeah. to losing. And that's so sports, baby. life is so, yeah, it is sports. And life's just so much better when you're winning. And now, just in time to play the Chiefs, they're getting guys back from injuries. AJ Boye might be able to play this week. Demarcus Walker might be able to play this week. Draymond Jones might be able to play this week. Melvin Gordon should be able to play this week. So they're getting healthy. They've won their last two games. And the defense the last two games has been phenomenal. And I don't I want to be a little cautious because it seems like the Patriots offense has some real problems. It seems like they've got nothing going on at receiver. Their run game isn't doing good enough. And I think Cam is a fine quarterback, but I think without having much practice at all, the Patriots offense, I don't think is going to look that bad every game, but I think they're having some trouble. So I'm not going to talk up the Broncos defense too, too much because I think it was partly Pats, partly Broncos. But even still, when when you have that many sacks, that many pressures, force a couple of turnovers, Chubb and Malik Reed on the outside are generating pressure. Shelby Harris keeps batting all kinds of passes. Michael O.J. Mudia has been a phenomenal rookie cornerback. He's really surprised me how well he's played as a corner. And their two safeties, Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons, are playing well. And then at inside linebacker, Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell are getting home on blitzes. And that came out of nowhere because before Fangio came to the Broncos, his last two stops were with the Bears and the 49ers, and he blitzed his inside linebackers among the fewest in the NFL. And so now he comes to Denver 
last two weeks or the last two games against the Jets and Patriots, Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell are blitzing like crazy and it's working. And after the game, someone asked him, they were like, coach, you used to hardly blitz at all, at least inside linebackers. And now you're doing it like crazy. And he was like, well, actually, when I was a younger coach, I used to blitz more than anyone else. It's just that when I was with the 49ers and the Bears, we didn't need to blitz to get home. And I was like, hmm, that's a very interesting point because they had such good front four. They didn't need to do it. But now with the Broncos, clearly they do need to do it, especially without Von Miller on the outside. And so he's gone back to that and it's working. So with the defense playing so well, with them getting healthy and with them having momentum, Broncos fans feel really good right now, especially compared to the few weeks before that. And this is a big win. This is a big W on the road against New England. Not a lot of teams can say they did that. So that's good for the Broncos. But I just I got bad news for Fangio. I know he hates being in my doghouse, John. It's the one thing. He does not want to be in the O'Leary doghouse, but he's back in there. I let him out. After that win over the Jets and when he, you know, dissed Adam Gase after the game and didn't shake his hand, I'm like, oh, love it. I loved every single thing about it. But now he's found his way back in my doghouse, John, because I think he was being too conservative when he should have been aggressive and then being too aggressive when he should have been conservative. And I guess the scoreboard kind of proves me wrong. So unless Fangio was looking at the Patriots offense and just being like, no, no, they can't beat us. They can't score. Unless he was looking at that, and that's why early in that in that first quarter, on the fourth and two from the New England 25, Broncos are up 3 nothing, I believe, and they kicked a short field goal. I would just rather you be aggressive and go for it. The run game's going well. You know, put pressure on the Patriots, score points. And then the fourth and goal from the two in the third quarter again, I was like, don't kick a 20-yard field goal. Please go for it. So I didn't like those decisions. I just don't think... If you're going to go into Foxborough and play that conservatively and kick all these field goals, you're going to win one time out of like 50. And good for the Broncos that they were able to do it. And how were they able to do it? It's because of their defense getting those two critical turnovers in that third quarter, right? The interception and stripping Izzo the tight end. And those two turnovers were huge. And then when, when I said that they were too aggressive when they should have been conservative, John... How in the world did Fangio let Locke throw those two deep balls that were intercepted? The only strength the Patriots had was their secondary. That's the only strength they've got right now. That's the only thing they can hang their hat on. And Drew Locke's throwing balls down the field that are pickable. And two of them got picked off. And man, the Broncos had no business losing that game. And they almost did because Fangio's letting Drew Locke throw the football on first down after he had just thrown an interception. He's letting him throw it deep on first down. I'm like, Fangio, what are you doing? So I had to open up the doghouse door, throw him back in there, shut the crate door. He's back in the doghouse, uh, John, unless you can talk him out. Because I don't know. He's stuck in my doghouse no, right now. I'm not talking him out for <laughs> the for late in the game at all. The fourth downs kicking a field goal, I didn't really it didn't bother me too much. Like I know what you're saying. You can't expect to kick field goals and beat the Patriots. One in fifty times is gonna work. Thankfully for them, this was the one in fifty time. But like when you go you're playing the Chiefs next, their high scoring offense, you can't expect that same kind of game plan to work. So I agree that in general that's not gonna work, but the fourth downs didn't bother me too much especially because the defense was playing so well but on the airing it out late in the game up trying to close out the game I was like what are you doing and I think a part of it is on Pat Shermer the offensive coordinator and the play caller but Fangio even said after the game that they wouldn't have necessarily he didn't say word for word but he basically implied that they wouldn't necessarily have done it differently if they could do it over again I was like oh my goodness like that almost cost you the game and you're not even going to say yeah, we should have run it there. I was like, I, I really just, I'm with you. They should have run the ball, tried to kill the clock. That was just, it was too aggressive. Too aggressive at the wrong time. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I just don't get exactly. it. If you want to be aggressive, go for it on fourth and goal from the two yard line. Go for it there. That's where you be aggressive. Yeah. You don't be aggressive 
when all you have to do is try to run the clock out and not give Belichick back the ball after he went for two early and didn't get it, and now you're up by two scores. You're up by you're up eighteen to nine. That ball yeah, that ball it, game is in your hands. The only thing you can do to screw it up is to throw them the football, literally. Right? Exactly. They almost threw it away, literally. Yeah. As John mentioned, the Patriots didn't practice much. Cam Newton hadn't practiced much. And man, Bill Belichick. He is a little whiny after the game. I didn't like it. So I'm going to tell you what I didn't like about Bill Belichick postgame and get John's take on it. We'll do that coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit him, start him. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for week number seven. Quarterback Joe Burrow versus the Cleveland Browns. These teams met in week two, and if you'll remember, Burrow threw 61 times. Don't expect that in this one, but he finished with 316 yards and three scores. Those numbers are just slightly better than what is being allowed by Cleveland on the year at 290 and just over two touchdowns. Approaching 303 is within reason, but be very happy with 280 and two. Running back Latavius Murray of the New Orleans Saints versus the Carolina Panthers. New Orleans is fresh off of their bye, and they face a defense that has given up eight rushing touchdowns in six games, plus allowing more than 100 yards per game on the ground to the position. While the scoreboard usually dictates Murray's role in the offense, he has seen at least 10 touches in each of his last three games and in four of the five contests that he's played this year. Carolina is dreadful against running backs. Marvin Jones of the Detroit Lions faces the Atlanta Falcons on the road. While Jones has been awfully silent of late, producing only 17 yards in his last two games combined, and he has no touch touchdowns with Kenny Galladay in the lineup, there's still upside here. Atlanta has given up the fifth most points in both prominent fantasy football scoring systems. Most of the damage has come via being the second worst defense for yardage and the seventh for catches allowed. This game also has a potential for a shootout given how poor Detroit's defense has played most of the season. Another player who at one point was featured prominently in fantasy football, Evan Ingram, the tight end for the New York Giants. On Thursday night, he travels to Philadelphia for a top six matchup in all meaningful statistics for fantasy. This defense has given up the fourth most catches, sixth most yardage, and sixth highest touchdown efficiency rating. It hasn't been pretty for the Giants, especially for Ingram. At some point, it's going to click, and gamers have to be ready to take the chance and not miss out on such a premier matchup. For more fantasy football news and advice, make sure to check out thehuddle.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Did you think Cam, you know, it was just going to be a little difficult for him to get things going given how long he'd, he'd miss some time? Yeah, I think I just answered that right at the beginning. We, we need more time together. We need to practice together. We need to execute and, you know, do everything better. No question about that. Not so subtle there, Bill. Not so subtle. Oh, man. Oh, we need to practice. We need to practice. We need to practice. Yeah, no crap you need to practice, but it didn't bother the Titans, did it? The Titans didn't practice, and they've been beating everybody. You know, obviously, I had my fanboy hat on. I had my Patriots pajamas on watching the game. I'm, I live in New Hampshire, if, if people don't know that, listening to the podcast. I'm a Patriots honk. But watching that, I'm just like, I'm, John, I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. We're going to sit here and whine about practice and not practicing? What do Broncos fans think about that? I mean, it's not like the Broncos didn't get screwed over. They got forced into a bye week they didn't want. 
you know, the NFL could have forced the Patriots to play this game last week with Cam Newton probably wasn't going to be able to play. Would have been even uglier, I guarantee you, if Brian Hoyer or Jarrett Stidham started oh, this yeah. ball game against that oh, Broncos yeah. defense. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't have to watch that debacle. How do Broncos fans feel about hearing Belichick whining about, oh, well, hey, hey. We didn't get to practice. We didn't get to practice. I mean, wh- how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think Broncos fans in general highly dislike Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. So <laughs> no, no, hearing, no. So, hearing something like that, I think, gives them glee. But I also think a lot of Broncos fans are kind of self-focused, and a lot of them probably didn't even realize that he said that after the game. And to be fair to him a little bit, I think when he's talking about guys shuffling around and stuff, didn't they have a lot of guys moving in and out in the offensive line with a couple injuries and stuff? And it is, it's fair to say our offensive line is so shuffled, they haven't worked together, so there's going to be some problems. That's like, okay, that's fair. But like you mentioned, the Titans didn't practice for however long. And they come out and they look great. So like, it's like, okay, I get your point a little bit. But at the same time, you can play without practicing in the NFL. These guys, they're pros for a reason. They're paid what they're paid for a reason. They know how to play. They, you just got to execute. And of course, you're going to be sharper with practice. But a lot of teams cannot practice the whole week, especially if you do like a walkthrough or whatever, just like visualize it and go out and play fine. The Titans have proved that. So it is a little bit of an excuse from him for sure. Exactly. That's what I would. That's the word excuse. Like, that's what I would want. I would want Belichick to go on the podium and go, no excuses. Good job, Broncos. We got to do it better. And just say, yeah. just say that and over and over and over. It's kind of yeah. weird because you kind of feel like he usually does do he that. Does. Like, yeah, it no. seems like he this usually is... is like, we got to execute better. Yeah, no, yeah. And, and on our Patriots Wire podcast, uh, Henry McKenna of the Patriots Wire was saying uh, he thinks Belichick's sending a message to the league. You know, He's this frustrated is what, about yeah, it. This is what happens when, when we don't practice. But I would have rather that Belichick... That wouldn't surprise me. No, not me either. I think it's a good take. But I would have rather Belichick just do the whole no excuses thing at the podium and then go in the locker room behind closed doors and go, look, we got screwed over. We didn't get the practice. Like, we'll be fine. You know what I mean? Like, do that thing, yeah. diss the league behind closed doors and do the no excuses thing on the podium. I just thought it was a bad look. I don't like my team whining about not practicing. So, uh, yeah, I think Broncos fans are, are right to laugh at the Patriots and, and be annoyed by that. I think they should give us all the crap in the world, all the crap they want to, John. But, uh, you know, a big a big talking point in this game out here, I don't know how much it's being talked about in Broncos country. Belichick goes for two early, right? The Patriots finally score that touchdown. There's eight minutes, 31 seconds left. It makes it 18 to nine. And the Patriots need uh, another two. They need another score and a two-point conversion at some point. Belichick decides to go for two right away. My friends start texting me, John. Oh, what an idiot. What's he doing after the Patriots miss it? If, if Let's just go back for a second. If Cam Newton scores the two-point conversion, everyone's calling Belichick a genius, right? Oh, what a uh-huh. genius. Brilliant Belichick. But because Cam got stopped, all my friends are texting me, tweeting me, oh, Belichick's an idiot. What's he thinking? And I start defending Belichick, and then everyone's calling me a bobo and saying I just defend Belichick. But no, no, I actually think Belichick made the right call. With 831 left and two timeouts, you get an opportunity there to learn what happens on the two-point conversion. You get to know the outcome of it instead of waiting till the end of the game, and then you can manage the game better. So I actually liked it. What did you think about that decision? I've just heard coaches before, and I get the reasoning when they say you don't go for two until you need to. In that situation, they didn't need to. And, like, it's fine to be aggressive and stuff, and I get what you're saying. If they do that, then they know the outcome. But one of the outcomes could be that it's a two-possession game instead of a one-possession game if you don't get it. So if my math is right on that. No, so, no, it is. But what if you miss it at the end of the game and you don't have any time left to kick an extra an that's, kick? That's true. So it's like you, you got to make a tough decision either way. But I've just seen a lot of coaches decide to go for it at the end 
when you have to opposed to doing it earlier when you don't have to. So if I was a Patriots fan, I don't know if it, I don't think it would bother me because just like you're saying, it lets you know what you what you have to do on your next one. And if they did get it, if they wanted to be super aggressive, they could go for two the next time and go for the win opposed to go for the tie. No, only so River, get, River vote Ron Rivera over Washington. He's the only one who would do that. <laughs> Yeah. So I get the reasoning behind it. I don't know that I would do it myself, but I get what he was thinking. Yeah. No, I, that's my thing. Like you can disagree with the logic. You just can't call it idiotic because it makes sense. Like I understand why he did it. It makes perfect sense. And I guess he was right because he got two more possessions thanks to Fangio that's and Drew true. Locke. So he, he, he made the right call, right? I mean, you can't say, you can't say he didn't. Yeah. If it had worked, they would have been in perfectly fine shape. So, right. So that goes back to Fangio and his, and his clock management, man, Fangio, I thought, we had come so far and I'd left you out of the doghouse and, and now you're back in and I don't even know if I'm giving you dinner. I don't even know. So we'll have to think about that. But all right, huge win for the Broncos. What's their reward, John? What is their reward? Ah, a date with the Kansas City Chiefs, right? So we'll start talking about that game coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast. Here's what you need to know to bet on the Week 7 Sunday night football game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Las Vegas Raiders. The Bucs are coming off their most impressive win of the season, beating the Green Bay Packers 38-10 in Week 6 to move to 4-2. The Raiders, who are 3-2, are coming off a Week 6 bye after stunning the Kansas City Chiefs with a 40-32 road win in Week 5. The Buccaneers come in as 3-point road favorites. Las Vegas Raiders, their home dogs, plus 3, over under a 53-and-a-half. Buccaneers, they got a win by four points to cover that spread. I'm back in the Raiders. They stay within three points. They might even win outright. I'm going to put a little sprinkle on the plus 130 money line for the home Raiders. Check out sportsbookwire.com for more. With all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook, subscribe to BetSlip and Podcast with new episodes every Friday morning. Be sure to rate and review. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, this is an interesting spot for the Broncos. Coming home, they're going to be nine and a half point dogs to the Chiefs. The schedule is interesting, right? They got the Chiefs here, then they got the Chargers at home as well. They'll travel to Atlanta and Vegas, and then they'll come back home to play the Dolphins and the Saints. So here's my question for you What are the chances of Denver really getting this thing going and getting into the AFC wildcard race? Like, what percentage chance do you give them of like actually having a chance to get in that discussion? Just off the top of my head, I give them a sixty percent chance. I think good. That, that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's certainly not guaranteed. You gotta do it. But I think it's just as likely to happen as it is to not happen. Maybe even more likely to happen because they're playing so well. The defense is playing so well. The run game is working well. Block shouldn't have made that last throw, especially, and they shouldn't have called those throws there at the end. But I did not think Locke played a bad game necessarily at all. If because at least three times, like 
not even being a homer watching the game with orange glasses, anything like that, just <laughs> watching it objectively. There was three times where legitimately his receivers and tight ends dropped a touchdown pass. That was in their hands, a perfectly fine throw that should have been caught and could have been caught. And if he has three touchdown passes and they're up by who knows how much in the game, maybe they don't feel like they have to be so aggressive because even if they do punt, they're up by so much, it won't matter and they just run. And if they do that, maybe he doesn't have two interceptions. And that's a lot of what if, but could have, should have, would have. And I get that. But I'm just saying, like, I think Locke is fine. I think if his receivers start hauling him some, and maybe it's not guaranteed, maybe drops are just going to be a bad problem for the Broncos the whole year. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But if a couple of these passes are caught, his numbers look a lot better. Their scoring offense a lot better. They don't have to settle for six field goals. Maybe they settle for three field goals and get three touchdowns. And if you get three touchdowns and three field goals against the Chiefs and your defense plays well, that very well could be enough. So I think they've got a chance against the Chiefs playing at home, playing a mile above sea level, and they don't have regular fans, but they have limited fans. So they're going to be able to make some noise. So I definitely give them a shot against the Chiefs, and then you give them a shot against the Chargers. Obviously, they better have a shot against the Dolphins. Like, (laughs) Dolphins aren't a terrible team, but they're certainly beatable. So I really think they could keep, keep their winning ways going these next few weeks. Interesting, interesting. So you think they got a shot? You think they got a shot against these Chiefs? It doesn't seem like the Chiefs of old. The, the, The Chiefs haven't been dominating people. Exactly. Like the Patriots, their offense was awful. But besides that, they kind of contained the Chiefs a little bit. There was only like one real big play, maybe two big plays. They kind of slowed down Patrick Mahomes. And then the Bills, they their offense was terrible as well. And they kind of let that game get away from them. But for the most part, they kind of contained the Chiefs a little bit too. The Chiefs, like, the Chiefs still scored points. They were up close to around 30 points in both those games. But like I just mentioned, if the if the receivers and tight ends catch those perfectly fine passes that lock through, the Broncos are scoring 30 points. So if you're able to score with them and able to stop them a couple of times, like they're not going to shut them down. Nobody's shutting down the Chiefs. But if you can slow them down, you give yourself a chance. And I think the Broncos will be able to slow them down. I like it. Yeah, I think they got a shot with their defense, no doubt. Their defense was very impressive, but there's no way BMAC is getting another game ball, John, unless he kicks like a 60-yard field goal to win this ball game. They cannot rely on field goals. Cannot do it. Got to be more aggressive, and they better they better push that button this week because if they start kicking field goals again, not a chance. No chance. Yeah, I, I agree. They got to be better in the red zone. They got... Fangio was asked after the game why they're struggling so much to score touchdowns, and I thought he made an interesting point. The play calling and the execution on first and second down has got to be better. Mm -hmm. So on third down, it's more manageable because obviously if you don't get on third down, you're either punting and kicking a field goal. And they just haven't been good on third down lately. And it's not simply third down execution. It's what happened on the first two downs. How much yard did you gain? So it's something that they're obviously aware of. So hopefully they'll work on that and start improving that. Good stuff as always, John. Have a great week, all right? All right, you too. Talk to you next week. Hopefully after an upset win. That would be sweet. Thanks for joining us on the Broncos Wire podcast. This USA Today sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's sports media group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini and the Huddle podcast inside the weekly line with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren and the Bet Slippin' podcast. We'll see you again next week.
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.